The following was recorded live as part of Homeschool.com's 2005 Homeschooling Teleconference. To order additional recordings, visit www.homeschool.com or send an email to orders at homeschool.com. So good morning, everyone. Welcome to Homeschool.com's 2005 Homeschooling Teleconference. We uh, say that it is a homeschooling how-to marathon because it is four hours a day of back-to-back interviews with the top homeschooling uh, experts across the country. You'll probably recognize many of your favorite homeschooling authors and speakers. And starting us off today is uh, a good friend of homeschool.com, and I know many of you have read her books. She, Sharon Lecter, is the uh, co-author of the international best-selling series, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And she is one of the founders of the Rich Dad Company, along with Robert Kiyosaki and Kim Kiyosaki. You may not also know that Sharon uh, is a lifelong education advocate. She is a CPA, an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, an educator, educator, excuse me, and an international speaker and mother. So, uh, welcome, Sharon. We're sure grateful to have you. Thank you, Rebecca. I'm delighted to be on the call today. Well, that's wonderful. So, I know that you have a special passion regarding educating our children about money. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about that, please. Certainly. Well, first and foremost, I am a mom. I know it was the last one you, you mentioned, but that's the most important one. I have three children of my own. And um, unlike your callers, I continue to try and fight through the um, public education system to get the right education for them and continue to try and change that system. So I applaud you and all of your listeners that are homeschooling because they are they are the ones who are taking control into their own hands and taking making sure their kids are being educated appropriately. And my passion started when my oldest son, who is now 30, didn't want to read. And the kids around him didn't want to read. So one of my first companies was the Electronic Children's Book Company. And I moved from that as he grew to the point where they needed really to understand financial education. And within the public school system and even the private school system, many of our educational systems are teaching to the test. So they don't look at money as a life skill, and that truly is. And we need to teach our children because the the world they're going to face is very different from the world that we as parents faced. There's no longer job security. Our educational system is geared to teach these children to become employees, and we need to give them their entrepreneurial spirit back. Can you tell us a little bit about how you became involved with uh, Robert Kiyosaki? Oh, certainly. Um, I had been working with the Scottsdale School District here in, in Arizona trying to get financial education um, into the system, revamping their entire math pro- program. And my husband called me one day and said, Sharon, I met this man today that has what you've been looking for. Well, I heard quite a few ladies on the phone call, so can you imagine if your husband called you and said, I've met a man that has what you've been looking for. It was a bit of a pregnant pause, and I went, excuse me? And he said, yes, his name is Robert Kiyosaki, and he's got this board game drawn on this piece of paper, and it is incredible. I think it's really going to help teach financial literacy. So I actually met Robert for the first time at a um, beta test for the board game. took my daughter with me, who at the time was 19, and we played the beta test. And as we left, my daughter said, Mom, that game was awesome. I learned more in the last three hours than I did in the last three years of high school. 
and it was at that moment that I knew I wanted to be part of getting this game finished and available to people, to students, to parents, to anyone who wanted to learn about money and take control of their financial future. What is your role with the Rich Dad Company and with the Rich Dad Poor Dad book? Um, I'm Robert's partner. Robert, Kim, and I are both are all three founders of the Rich Dad Company. I am the co-author of all the books with Robert. We are now, I think, having our 12th release in the fall. Really, the Rich Dad Poor Dad series is changing the way the normal American person thinks about money. If it, hopefully, um, what Rich Dad Poor Dad can do for someone is empower them to get past the element of fear. So many of us through school have been tra- trained that we need to depend on the government or an employer um, to take care of us. And the concept of Rich Dad Poor Dad and all of the books and the products that we develop are to get people through that fear so that they can take more control over their life and more control over their financial education. And certainly for parents, my goal is to provide them the tools so that they can help train their children early so that those kids have a chance to really create the future they want. Of course, one of the nice things about homeschooling our children is that we get to learn alongside them. And with uh, homeschoolers, uh, money and finances is a particularly important topic because uh, many of our homeschooling families are living off of one income because uh, someone is staying home, either the father or the mother, at least part-time to homeschool the children. So at homeschool.com, we're always trying to you know, help our help our listeners and our readers um, get good financial skills so that they can stay home with their children without starving. So we're very grateful to your work. Uh, let's talk a little bit about um, the schools. You'd mentioned that the schools are training our children to be employees, not entrepreneurs. Can you elaborate on that and tell us why you think it's bad to uh, to raise your children to be an employee since many, many homeschoolers are employees themselves? We're not saying it's bad to be an employee. That's how many of us get started. But if I just take you back a little bit in time to if you imagine a kindergarten class, you have a a room full of children that are jumping up and down and raising their hands and the teacher asks a question and the kids are saying, pick me, pick me, pick me. And you fast forward that same group of kids 10 years and you see them again when they're in high school and they Nobody raises their hand. The kids are all looking at their feet. Their their thirst for knowledge, their thirst for learning has disappeared. And what's happened to them during that 10-year time is called public or private education. What I see when I see homeschooling children with their parents, I still see that thirst for energy, that, that thirst for knowledge, zest for learning. And that's what's being trained out of them. The original education system is prescient based in Prussia, and it was created to generate employees who could understand how to operate machinery in the industrial age. That's true, that the cookie-cutter model of education that was designed to create worker bees. That's right, and what's happening today is, again, we're moving even closer to that in the fact that we're teaching to the test. So we're not really being concerned about how much our children know. We're concerned about how well they perform on a test. Of course, in the industrial age, it worked well to train people to become employees because they would they would graduate, they would get a good job, they would stay there for life, they'd have a nice retirement. That model doesn't seem to be working anymore, is it? That was a beautiful model during that time. 
And certainly, as we've seen in the last 10 years, that's being shifted. Unfortunately, our educational system isn't shifting along with it. Today, um, a student coming out of college can expect to have seven different jobs in their lifetime. And so we have to take more control and more responsibility for our own lives and for our own financial well-being. Um, every day in the news, you look at the newspaper, United um, Pilots, their pension benefits were cut 33%. Um, American Airlines asking the, the pensions to be cut back. So people that have already invested their life into creating this vision of working hard for a pension and a guaranteed uh, payout is no longer a reality. And You're so saying people, that even if even if our children become employees, the odds are they're going to have to change jobs, you know, seven times in their lifetime, which really means they have to start thinking like an entrepreneur. Exactly, and there's nothing wrong with being an employee. We just want our children to be aware of you. When you are an employee, your job is to make your employer money. Absolutely, and but at the same time, every time you get your paycheck is your opportunity to determine how you're going to spend that money. Are you going to spend that money frivolously? Are you going to start looking about your own personal financial statement? So those children, for instance, we have kids that have played our cash flow for kids game. They've gone out and they've gotten their parents to buy them some bubblegum machines and they've put them out. These kids now have assets working for them, generating cash flow for them, and they're not even 10 years old. So it's keeping the concept of understanding the difference between assets and liabilities, and it's something that you can start at a very early age. In fact, um, I've been playing the cash flow game with my children for years now, and the word passive income, they understand it, because uh, it's so miserable to live that hand-to-mouth existence where you have a paycheck and it's gone before the end of the month, and every month it's like you're on a, a rat race. Exactly. One of my favorite testimonials was, a couple of years ago, I got a call from a dad, and he said, I just have to tell you, he says, my wife and I play cash flow for kids with our girls. They are six and eight years old, and we play with them once a week. And he said, my um, wife had a friend come over who was really distraught, very upset, because she was losing her job, and she just worked so hard. Her husband had left her, and he said, my daughters were playing Barbie on the floor in the kitchen, and then my wife and her friend were having coffee, and the wife says, you know, I just don't understand it. You know, the wife's friend says, I just don't get it. When do you ever get to stop worrying about money? And without looking up, his eight-year-old daughter said, when your passive income exceeds your expenses, that's when you get to stop worrying about money. That's so, such an important point, Sharon. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Give us some examples of what passive income is and what you mean when it pays for your expenses every month. Absolutely. Um, there are three basic types of income. One is earned, and that's you working for money. That's your paycheck, your W-2, your 1099. So in order for that money to come in, you have to go out the door and do something and get paid for it. That's earned income. It also happens to be the most highly taxed income. Then you have passive income. Passive income could be royalties. Um, majority of passive income is from real estate investments. So you go out, you work hard, you find a real estate investment, you end up with a tenant, and it generates passive income to you and cash flow each and every month. And once you have it, it's, it's like your employee working for you. You're not the one having to go out and work. That's passive income. Then there's portfolio income. Portfolio income is income from paper assets. 
So that income may be taxed at a capital gains rate if you're holding them and you sell it um, after a year. Um, it also could be taxed at ordinary income rates. So again, your passive income, you have an opportunity to grow your estate quite quickly because your passive income, you could conceptually not pay taxes on that because you have an offset called depreciation on real estate investments. I know this sounds complicated, but the basic idea is to build up assets like real estate or stocks or book royalties where the money comes in every month without you having to go into work to get it. You could be in Hawaii vacationing and those rent checks still come in. Or you could build a business and buy a franchise where you're not physically there every day. The business system is working for you. So you're getting income from this business without you necessarily having to be there. Then you're truly free, aren't you, when when the income coming in from those passive sources that you don't actually have to go into the office for can pay for your monthly expenses. That's it, right. Because then you and are officially out of the rat race. Right. And if, 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 if your um, listeners have read some of the Rich Dad books, they might be familiar with the cash flow quadrant, which is, in essence, is two lines that cross each other. The top left side is E for employee. The bottom left is S for self-employed or small business person. And the right side, the top right quadrant is B for business owner. And the bottom right is I for investor. Traditional schooling teaches our children to be on the left side of the quadrant, teaches them to be an employee or a self-employed professional. What Rich Dad is trying to do is create the opportunity for people to learn how to become business owners, how to become true investors. And what happens is, and I think you just said it, if you're an employee or a, a professional, the more successful you become, the busier you become, the less time you have, because everybody wants you specifically to do it. Now, on the right side of the quadrant, as a business owner or an investor, the more successful you become, the more real estate you own, the more businesses you own where you don't physically have to be there, the more successful you become on the right side of the quadrant, the more time you have, the more time you have to spend with your children. The more successful you become, the more financially independent you become. Being self-employed is not necessarily the same as having a right quadrant business. Because I know I've heard some people say that being self-employed gives you the freedom to work 24 hours a day. Being self-employed means you own a job, not yes. a business. Yes. So really, you're trying to get us onto that right-hand side of the quadrant where we start a business, and then that business brings income in every month, and that we can be away from that business on vacation or spending time with our children, and it continues to bring um, mon money in every month. That's right. And we go back to your question. When your passive income, and that's income that you're not physically having to go for, out and work for, so real estate or a business that you own but don't materially participate in, that income, when that income comes in and it exceeds your monthly living expenses, that's when we consider you are out of the rat race and financially free. So when we're talking about being financially free, we really measure it in time. So really, so the goal is not necessarily to become a millionaire. The goal is to have this passive income, pay off your bills every month so that you don't have to go to work every day. Choose to. That's correct. Yes. Beautiful goal. Because then, then we truly are free. That's okay. correct. We want to raise our children to have good financial skills. And as you said, for most of us, we did not receive these skills in school. They're not taught. And our parents were uh, raised in the industrial age where they were employees, and it worked so well for them. 
So how are we going to change our thinking um, to teach our children uh, um, information age financial skills? I will tell you, we have another complication, Rebecca, that wasn't there when we were children, and that is when we were growing up, we had something called delayed gratification. Um, If we wanted something, we saved our money and worked for it, and then we had enough money we could go buy it. And today our children, um, we live in a world of instant gratification because of credit cards and how easy it is to get into debt. So one of the things that as parents, and particularly I know it's strong in homeschooling parents, um, is to really not lose that concept of delayed gratification because the children want, it's a wonderful um, self-esteem builder for children to earn something before they can buy it. And I, I see that is such a missing link in today's world because we all want our children to have everything, and so they want it, we buy it, it's instant gratification. And the kids, I often get asked, how, how early, how young is too young to be teaching children about money? You know, my question back is, at what age do you think a child recognizes the difference between a $1 bill and a $20 bill? They're pretty sharp about money from a very young age. Yeah, four, five years old, they yeah. know the difference between a $1 and a $20 bill. They're also familiar with mom charges, you know. So we need to start teaching our children at a very young age. And the, the beauty of our program, Cash Flow for Kids, is that we, we don't teach necessarily money for money's sake. We talk about good deeds. We talk about the importance of charity. But it's through playing the game that children learn the vocabulary of money. And I think you said it even earlier, the parents who don't know it either, learn it along with them. I often tell parents, particularly of teenage children, when they play Cash Flow 101, expect your children are going to beat you because we as parents have a lot of old habits, bad habits that we have to kind of break through. And our young adults, are they're much more <laughs> eager to learn, so they don't have to unlearn before they can learn the concepts about money. I think with adults, too, um, sometimes we have fears about money. We worry that money will make us into a bad person and that you can't take you know, dirty money, filthy lucre for doing good work. What are your thoughts about that? Well, we talk about the, the saying, um, the love of money is the root of all evil. And we want to point out it's the love of money is the root of all evil, not money itself. And you can do a lot more good for people in the world if you have the financial wherewithal to do it. And the issue is to make sure that you're utilizing integrity and honesty in creating those businesses. And many successful businesses help other people. They solve a problem. They create new technology. They create jobs. So being financially successful is how, is, is how we can give back and how we can make a difference in so many more people's lives. So when it comes to money, I've noticed that money makes you more of who you already are. So um, if you're already a, a solid, good citizen, money gives you the power to do good work. And um, you know, for those people with questionable values, I suppose money gives them more power to maybe not do such good things. Would you and agree I think, with that? And I think those are the people that tend to create the issues of money is evil. And, you know, people, I do believe, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Having money just makes you more of who you are. This gives you more power. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're receiving some questions. Thank you very much, callers. Uh, it sounds like people would like to talk about um, specific ideas when we're raising our children. For example, let's talk about 
allowance. Donna in Gardenvale wants to know, what are your thoughts about allowance? Should we give them um, to children, and if so, in what way? Well, um, it's an excellent question, and I will um, also point you to our book, Rich Kids, Smart Kids, which is um, was released, I don't know, I think three years ago. And in the back of Rich Kid, Smart Kid, in the appendix, I have an actual um, dissertation on the art of allowance. Whether you give your children an allowance is really a parenting issue. But the point that I try to make on that is that it's not really a black and white question. We talk about dividing responsibilities. There are certain things that our children need to do for themselves. Brush their teeth, um, comb their hair, take a bath. Um, there are certain certain things that our children should do for the family, you know, help with the dishes, help take out the trash. There are certain things that our children should do just from a social responsibility basis, um, for instance, helping a neighbor. Those are the kinds of things that, that traditionally kids get paid allowances for. And I and I just I think you should recognize what you're asking your children to do, and make them aware that there are certain things that are just part of being a citizen, either within the family unit or within a neighborhood unit. Then, if a child is doing something over and above that, um, if they truly are exceptional students and they're exceptional athletes, that's where you recognize what they're doing and the commitment they're putting into it, and you give them the allowance. But truly, whether you give them an allowance or not is not as important as communicating to them those different types of responsibility of being a good family member and a good citizen. How do you feel about uh, credit cards and ATM accounts for our teenagers? <laughs> well, we've, we built credit cards right into our Cash Flow for Kids game so that children at an early age will understand the difference. I get furious when Freshmen in college go to school, and they literally walk a gauntlet of tables when they're arriving at college for the first day with people handing out CD players and water bottles. Just sign up for a credit card. Our children are just inundated. It's easier for them to get a credit card when they're a student making no money whatsoever than when they get out of school and they have a job. I remember when I got my first credit card, I still wasn't quite clear on the concept. I thought they were giving me $250. I went out and I bought all these clothes. Oh, of course. Then I had to pay it back. I thought, oh, my gosh, I was a smart kid. You know, and they went off to college and I didn't get it. We have the majority of our high school students now are graduating from high school with credit cards and in debt. And um, our college students are graduating with $22,000 in debt, and it's because we're allowing them to learn from television, the Internet, their peers, how to spend money, how to get into debt. But we're not educating them how to stay out of debt. We're not educating them how to generate income, how to make, create or buy assets that help them pay for what they want. It's really not the credit card. I mean, we, we love our credit cards. It's the lack of education that's the problem. As you talk about debt, there's good debt and there's bad debt. Can you elaborate on that? Absolutely. Good debt is debt uh, that you actually have someone else paying on your behalf. So, for instance, if I buy a rental house and I have a tenant who moves in and that tenant is paying me a monthly rent, that monthly rent pays for my mortgage on that home. That's good debt. That's debt that's allowing me to expand my asset base and generate passive income for my family. 
that's what we call good debt. Bad debt is, is credit card debt. Bad debt, we even classify your home mortgage as bad debt because, again, the question is, is the underlying asset putting money in your pocket every month? That's what our definition of an asset is. If it puts money in your pocket every month or a liability is something that takes money out of your pocket every month. So same thing with good debt. Is good, good debt is debt that is attached to an asset that's generating income for you. Bad debt is just taking money out of your pocket every month. So there was debt for doodads. And I love the way you use doodads in your game and your book. Doodads is a new watch. It's clothing. It's not something that's going to generate money for you. So golf, credit golf, cards. Yeah, golf clubs or a new car, yeah. new furniture. Yes, and so raising our children to understand what doodads are, that seems to be very important too, don't you think? Absolutely. I, I, I get um, cards and letters and faxes all the time from parents who say, you know, I really love this cash flow for kids game, but I was trying to buy a new pair of shoes and my daughter said, Mom, those are doodads. <laughs> well, uh, we're receiving lots of questions here via email, Sharon. Uh, Venus in Boston would like to have, have you throw out some more ideas, please, about passive income generating, uh, generating opportunities that children can begin with. You mentioned the gumball um, machine. Can you talk a little bit more about vending, uh, vending machines and other ideas that children can do that they can create their own passive income generating businesses? Well, certainly. If you think about, you know, from babysitting to lawn service, um, gumball machines is, is, is just one small example. We've got children that are creating websites now for other people. There's a little girl that started selling candles. She's been on, on the news over the internet. Um, again, a lot of it from a homeschooling perspective, it's a great opportunity for parents to work with their children to create that. Um, and certainly with the ability to have a network through homeschooling and to be able to start working together and doing it as a team, that's one of the things we talk about in our new book, which will be out this fall, and that is business is a team sport. People feel that they have to you know, go it alone and do it by themselves. But as, as Robert and Kim and I are partners in this business, it truly is much more fun to start a business as a group and bring all of your individual strengths to the table. And the kids, many of them get together. They do um, babysitting. They do tutoring services for other families. Um, a young man that I know started mowing lawns, and all of a sudden he got his friends involved. So now he just he doesn't mow any lawns anymore. He's the business owner. He's got a group of 10 children that work for him mowing lawns. Let's talk a little bit more about that, Sharon. For example, um, becoming a babysitter is puts you in the self-employed quadrant. Right. But now, um, ha or having a lawnmower business, but now hiring other people and scheduling them out, now you've, you're creating a business on the right-hand side of the quadrant. Right. The, the easiest way to become a, the right-hand side of B is to really start as an S on the left side. You start, you learn the trader business, and then you expand and leverage yourself to where you personally are not in it. So, for instance, this young man started with his lawn service, hired his friends, and now he's kind of out of it managing it from a standpoint of just the business owner. Um, a group of girls got together and they started babysitting. They have a group, and now the girl that started it isn't the one actually doing the babysitting, and except in the emergency. So um, you have lawyers that typically are S's. Well, they get together and they say, okay, well, how, how can I create a team of lawyers where I personally am not the one having to work all the time? 
So having the skills of an S help you create the reputation and the systems that will help you move to the B. Excellent, Sharon. I'm looking here through the emails that are coming in. Uh, John would like to know if you have any lesson plans and tests for the financial game. Yes, John. Thank you very much for that question. We have um, a website called richkidsmartkid.com. And that website was created specifically for out of request from homeschoolers, but we made it available to anyone around the world, and it's totally free. It has curriculum K through 12, um, four different levels, age levels, four different mini-games. Each one teaches a certain um, aspect of financial literacy. Through that website, you can um, order a Cash Flow for Kids um, game. You also have the opportunity through richdad.com to get lessons plans for our cash flow 101 board game the adult board game we have a total curriculum i think it's called teacher's assistance if you call the office and ask about that they can tell you how you can access that and that's lesson plans and curriculum around cash flow 101 board game would you mind telling you have so many products but would you give us some of the ideas uh, some ideas of the products that the rich dad company has to offer for adults and for children Certainly. Let me start with children because we've just within the last year come out with two new books called Rich Dad, Poor Dad for Teens. And then we also have a comic book that is How to Get Out of the Rat Race. Yes, and my daughter loves that comic book. Oh, good, good. Great testimonial. Yes, in fact, and all of our children love the um, uh, Cash Flow for Kids software game. Even my 14-year-old likes it. Fantastic. Well, the Cash Flow for Kids board game is available either in board game or electronic game format, as Rebecca mentioned. So we have, and then we have the, the book Rich Kids, Smart Kids, and that book, Rich Kids, Smart Kid, was written by Robert and me, but it is really for the parents. But in the back of that book, I have an entire series of what I called financial field trips. And it's what you as children, I mean, excuse me, you as parents can do with just small exercises that you can do with your children to help teach them basic economic principles. And so that has been We've got a lot of great feedback on that, particularly from homeschoolers. And then that's primarily the children's area. And then we have, as again, I said, we've got 10 to 12 different uh, books that Robert and I have written together for adults. Then we have a series of Rich Dad Advisor books that talk about specific topics like intellectual property or sales or real estate. And then we have the board games, um, Cash Flow 101, and then we have Cash Flow 202. Which is oh, I haven't tried Cashflow 202, but I sure love Cashflow 101. Cashflow 101 is the fundamentals of investing. 202 takes you into the more technical aspects of options, trading, shorts, puts, calls, that kind of thing. So you really want to get uh, 101 first and get adept at playing the 101 and then moving on to 202. And then the idea with the game is that your brain doesn't realize that you're playing a game. Or would you start to be comfortable thinking about um, passive income and looking at real estate and portfolio investment opportunities and your brain just starts to get comfortable with it in the game format so that you become comfortable with it in real life. Absolutely. You said it earlier, Rebecca, about the people are fearful and that fear, through knowledge, we can dispel the fear. And through playing cash flow, you learn the vocabulary of money. You learn certain aspects of investing without realizing it while you're having a good time and you're playing you're using play money so you're not risking your own money so you can make mistakes and not uh, have it hit your own personal bottom line 
I've noticed that uh, even children as young as 10 are able to understand the cash flow game, but it's a little bit expensive, so I might recommend to families to um, purchase it and then share it among your families. Oh, absolutely. Because and I noticed uh, with my own children, they'll be they'll play it very intensely for a month or so, and then they'll back off of it. And then you can pass it on to another family and have them intense, just kind of circle back on it again, and that might help with the expense of it. We also have, and we didn't realize this last year, February of 2004, um, the New York Times did a full-page spread on the cash flow board game, and they titled it Move Over Monopoly. It talked about the science. The, the board game itself has a tremendous amount of educational science in it, and we have received patents around the world on the technology that was used in creating the cash flow board game. And well, so Sharon, I'd like to open up the call and take some live questions if we can. Certainly. Um, so, uh, callers, there are hundreds and hundreds of people on the call, um, so we might have to, to prevent noise issues, please press star six on your phone. Either push the mute button if you have that. That's the easiest way if you have a mute button on your phone. Or star six will uh, mute you out, and then you push star six to answer questions. And so we'll go in, you ask your question. I'll go back into lecture mode and repeat it so that everyone can hear it and then so that we can record uh, Sharon's answer. So if you would, everyone, please uh, mute your phones now and we'll go into live mode. Okay. So let's take the first question, please. I have a question about the Colby Index for kids. Can you hear me? Yes, I, I can. If you ask your question, and then I'll back out and I'll repeat it for you. You have okay. a question about the Colby Index. Yes, um, I know that they were developing one for younger children, and um, I was wondering if that is available yet. I would love to understand my children's interest uh, uh, you know, survey or whatever. Thank you, Sharon. She's asking about the Colby Index. In your book, Rich Kids, Smart Kids, you talk about Kathy Colby, and this, it's like a learning styles index called Colby. Um, and if you, could, if you could explain this a little bit to our uh, listeners. And then her specific question was, uh, is it now available for children? Yes, you can refer to the Colby index at kolbe.com, colby.com. And they do have an, an index for children. It helps you understand um, a little bit about your children's um, homework style, and it, it truly is very helpful. My children, when they came out with that, were older, so I haven't had personal experience using it, but I've had some really good feedback from other parents. The Colby Index as an adult was truly helpful for me, and I recommend it to anyone. We use it in our hiring practices because it talks about your, your innate um, talent. So it's not what you've learned during your life, but it's what comes natural to you. So that combined with your education, combined with your passions, help you determine what's best for you. Now, children, sometimes they, you don't want them to take the adult index because you would get mixed results. But they do have a children's index, and it will help you related to um, sharing it with their teachers. If they're certainly in public school, um, some children aren't suited for sitting and, lear and learning. They, you know, they, they're more active, and that's Kathy Colby's passion is that every child is a genius. And she I found it to be very um, peaceful, too, when I took the index myself, confirming that, okay, this is, this is who I am, and it's okay. 
Oh, it was, a, it was a true gift to me. Yes, yes. absolutely, Rebecca. Because sometimes, you know, you think, you go, oh, my gosh, why is it, I, like, I'm a quick start on the Colby Index. Why does I have to have variety all the time? You know, other people seem to love details. Other people love doing the same thing all the time. Why is it I have to, I crave variety? And then you take the index and you go, oh, okay, it's all right. You know, there's room for everyone in the world. Very validating. And the whole intent is for you to find where your strengths are and how you can play to your strengths. It's kind of like learning styles for adults, and we will be talking more about uh, learning styles, too, for children, and that interview is uh, coming up. I'm going to find the date for you. That comes up on August 4th, Thursday, from 2 to 3, and that'll be talking about learning styles. Well, let's go back in and take another question, Sharon. Okay, callers, do you have another question for Sharon Lecter? I do. I have a question on the cash flow for kids and the, and how to get out of the rat race um, game. Are those, what ages are those? Sharon, her question was about the cash flow for kids games. What ages do you recommend for the cash flow for kids and what ages do you recommend for the regular cash flow 101? Great question. Our cash flow for kids game is really designed for ages 6 to 12. And the Cash Flow 101 adult game is for ages 10 and up because depending on your child, and certainly if they started playing Cash Flow for Kids, they may be able to move to the 101 at a younger age. But our website, richkidsmartkid.com, is really, um, you can start even earlier than that because the attention span of the younger children is, is shorter. So we've designed the games to be short, individual lessons. We have it, I think, divided up age group by um, grade level. So you have K through 3, K through 2, 3 through 5, 6 through 8, and then 9 through 12. And as the children get older, the lessons get older and they're more age appropriate. The actual characters on Rich Kid, Smart Kid, the animated characters actually get older as you go into the higher levels. And so we've had, I've, I've heard from parents who have their four-year-olds playing the game. But typically, five and six years old um, on the kindergarten level can start on that game. So, Sharon, while we're in this lecture mode, too, can you tell us again um, why you think it's so important that we raise our children to think like entrepreneurs? And what is what is an entrepreneur? Who is an entrepreneur? And why is it important that we raise our children to think like an entrepreneur, even if they end up not owning their own business? Great question, Rebecca, and I, I'll take it one step even further. I think it's important that we always keep our thirst for learning and have our children always thirst for knowledge. Being um, an entrepreneur is using that creativity to create business, create jobs, continue to support the economy through new and novel ideas. Um, is, having an entrepreneurial spirit is not a requirement. It is something that we all have. And what happens is we get trained out of it. We have fear taught um, through school. We become employees, so we just follow the rules. School teaches us that there's only one right answer. And I think every one of your listeners would agree that once you get out of school, you find out that there are a lot of right answers and there are a lot of wrong answers. And so the issue is keeping our children excited about learning, um, excited about being creative, and that they have the opportunity to create the life that they want. And even more importantly, the elements of the world that we don't have control over, 
right now, the economy, what's happening in the economy, being an employee where you are um, literally there, you're at the whim of your employer, um, depending on Social Security, where you are at the whim of your government. What we really want to inspire in parents is to give your children the tools and the education so that they can be in control of their own lives. That they are not in service to their employer, that they're not in service to their government unless they choose to be. Well, thank you. That's an excellent answer. If you wouldn't mind, let's go over one more time to your thoughts. Should we give our teenagers or have our teenagers apply and use a credit card in their teenage years and have them using an ATM machine so that they can practice these skills with us before they go out into the real world? Absolutely. It's not the credit card or the ATM card that's the problem. It's the lack of education that goes with it. Um, our children are going to be in a world where everybody has credit cards. You can't rent a car. You can't get a hotel room without having a credit card. There are lots of um, cards out there that have guaranteed balances. There are lots of credit cards that that your the parents have a string account so they can see what's happening. And it is through that interplay between the parents and the children that you can help instruct them on how to utilize a credit card. I have a lot of credit cards, but I've never paid any interest on my credit cards because I pay them off every month. But I love them. They help me keep my book straight. So we don't... We, we, the tactics of getting these children into credit cards, we have some problems with. But if the parents have taken the first step and proper, properly educated their children, that's what's missing. Talking again about allowance, if we give our children allowance, are we training them to become employees? And then what you're giving them an allowance for. Um, we go back to where I was talking about if it's something that's personal responsibility, family responsibility, social responsibility. You're giving them an allowance for what they are thinking of. There's extra things that they can do. You are actually inspiring the entrepreneurial spirit. If they say, well, Mom, you know, I, I, did, I did the dishes, but how about if I clean out the cabinet? You know, that, that they are the ones thinking of things they can do for extra money. And that kind of allowance inspires entrepreneurial but if they just know that they're each and every week they're going to get 10 bucks, whether they watch TV or make their bed, doesn't matter. They know they're going to get their 10 bucks. That instills the employee mentality. And having them have money to work with, I suppose, is very important because I mean, how, do you, how do you know if you've never had a chance to make purchasing decisions whether that purchase was worth it or not? So, so do, you like children, do you like children to have money and to be using it actively themselves? Absolutely, and having money allows um, a parent to instill that delayed gratification into their children. Uh, let's, let's talk again about the delayed gratification because I know that how important that is. Well, um, I'm probably significantly older than most of your call callers. I'm 51, but I still remember that there were no credit cards when I was when I was growing up, and if I wanted something. I had to figure out how to earn the money and how to get the money together to buy it. So that sense of accomplishment, when I actually was able to go to the store and buy what I had worked for and earned, was is a tremendous self-esteem builder. And what I see in many of our children today is a real lack of self-esteem. And it's because they we're not teaching our kids that delayed gratification with the in, with with credit cards, with so many people in debt. They just they buy what they want, and then they figure out how they're going to pay for it later. 
What do you well, suggest that we do? I, I really believe that parents can take control and help instill in their children this concept of earning money, being creative, new ways to make money, and let them think of something that they want and help them save the money and be able to go get it as a celebration for the fact that they wanted it, they waited for it, they earned it, and now they buy it. Who recommend that charitable giving be a regular part of our children's money habits? Absolutely. It is a core component in our um, Cash Flow for Kids game. It's a core component in Cash Flow 101, and it's a core component in our Rich Kids, Smart Kid website. Charity is very important. We, we firmly believe that you will receive more when you give. So do you regularly then um, invite your children or even make your children give 10% of all their earned income away? Well, again, we talk about that we are not in a position to dictate parenting skills. Certainly, um, when you start talking on that level, you also are bringing in religious concepts and habits. We talk about the three piggy bank theory, raising your children with three piggy banks, where they think about... When they make a dollar, they put 10 cents in a investing piggy bank, 10 cents in a saving piggy bank, 10 cents in a charity piggy bank. So we always think about not just earning it and spending it, but earning it and saving it for the, that delayed gratification, saving this for what you want, some goal that you want, not just savings account investing it. So you're putting money away to buy another pinball machine or you're putting money away to buy a lawnmower. And third, charity. So you're saving money. You're putting money away to give back. I saw a piggy bank just like the one you described at www.prosperityforkids.com. Mm -hmm. It was cute as can be. There was um, the mommy piggy bank it had the uh, 80%, 70% of it, and then it had three little baby piggy banks where you put one in for giving, one in for investing, and one in for saving. Great. Let's open up the caller. We have five more minutes left, Sharon. Purge what the dog thinks that you don't want. You don't need to. Excuse me. Any last questions for Sharon? So we're in the live mode now. Uh, we're talking with Sharon Lecter, co-author of the Rich Dad, Poor Dad series and an educational advocate on financial issues. Any last questions for Sharon? Hello. Hello, we can hear you. Okay. My daughter is 10 years old, and her father and I are both self-employed, unfortunately on the wrong end of the scale. But um, she is always asking about ways she can make money. And the, the little gumball idea, I had never heard of that before. Can you tell me where on the Internet or just where I can find out some more information about ideas like that for kids to make money on their own? Well, certainly. I think if you even go on eBay, you can find that. Go into, your news, um, go into the newspaper on Sundays. There's always kinds of vending routes and stuffed animal vending machines. Part of what you want to do is to make sure your child is improved, is involved in that process from the very beginning. And I applaud you and your husband. Being self-employed is a wonderful way to start. And you can determine your talent, what you bring, the problems that you solve in the world, and create a business around your talent and, and grow it. So as we said, the best way to get into the B quadrant is to start in the S quadrant. That's how you learn the systems and you learn the skills. So um, please, I applaud both of you for doing that. And certainly I applaud you for being on this call, thinking about how you can help your children. 
um, homeschooling is fantastic. Talking about the gumball machines and the vending machines, I suppose a child, if they're on the swim team or if they're involved in gymnastics, they could ask to have a vending machine there, or maybe they could ask to come and set up a table where they sell um, um, you know, candy and food during the soccer game, and then they give a percentage of that to the site owner. Um, have you heard about that, Sharon, and does that work? Certainly. We've had the kids come and set up a cash flow board games when we do it to sell um, sodas and candy. Also, you know, go talk to your doctor. Um, if there's, your doctor may let the child put something in their office for breath mints or whatever. Um, there's all local stores, local markets. Um, particularly when it's a child asking, you tend to you tend to get a lot of support from your neighborhood vendors. Then they have that direct experience of uh, collecting the passive income when they were not in the doctor's office to earn it and then being responsible for uh, refilling it and taking care of their vending machine or their bubblegum machine. Very important that they understand that there's the expense side of it as well, yes. Have you heard, is there some site where people can go that lists all these terrific ideas for children, like some kind of a community or support group for children who want to start their own businesses? I think there are multiple ones on the website, and I, I just what I do is caution parents to make sure that you're with your children when they're looking for those kinds of opportunities. Wonderful. That was our timer then. So callers, if you'd like, we're going to take a 10-minute break in between interviews. It is 11.50 now Pacific time. We're going to take a break for 10 minutes, and then we will come back in with our next guest, who is Rhonda Barfield, uh, talking about who are homeschoolers and what they do all day. Uh, that interview is geared for the um, new, newer homeschooler who wants to learn about the different homeschooling styles and uh, which style might be right for their family. But would you please join me in thanking Sharon Lecter for her time today and her incredible input on how we can raise financially smart children. So push star six to come out of your mute mode, and we will say goodbye to Sharon. Thank you, Rebecca, and congratulations to all thank of you. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Thank, 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 thank you. Thank you. And I'm, prou I'm just uh, proud of all of you. Is there a way that we could get a hold of you, Sharon? Um, yes, I'm. my email is Sharon at richdad.com. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you. I should have asked that myself. Thank you. Congratulations to all of you.